0: Section 3 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 26. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 26, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 3. Ben Blauer's story, or How to Relish a Julep, by C. F. Hoffman it was the cholera season of eighteen thirty four i was lost in my cogitations as i reclined upon the settee of a steamer sipping the balmy corrective of the drastic mississippi waters whose yeasty current foamed around me methought as i looked upon what many then considered the great fluid agent of the pestilence throughout the growing southwest methought a man must be there in that greasy fumed overcrowded boat beneath that scorching sky there where the great gloomy river writhed its turbid way amid endless swamps of cypress. a man must be there in that desolate wilderness alone for that heated random crowd was not society though it robbed one of the elevating sense of solitude in a scene so vast alone anxious and ailing and but now almost completely disheartened by a long struggle amid jostling passengers to get his chance for a cooling draught at the bar he must in short be situated exactly as i was to realize the full and perfect relishment of a julep i had yet to learn that i knew not the consummate condition of julep drinking There was a buzz among the passengers as if some new event had turned up to vary the monotony of the day. Are you sure that's the flame over by the shore? asked a man near me of one of the deckhands. Surting, Manny? I could tell her pipes across the Missouri. The name Missouri is thus generally pronounced upon the western waters. And you will overhaul her? Won't we, though? i tell ye stranger so sure as my name's ben blower that that last tar borrel i hove in the furnace has put just the smart chance of go-ahead into us to cut off the flame from yonder pint or send our boat to kingdom come the devil exclaimed a bystander who intensely interested in the race was leaning the while against the partitions of the boiler-room I've chosen a nice place to see the fun near this infernal powder barrel not so bad as if you were in it coolly observed ben to me as the other walked rapidly away as if he were in it in what in the boiler certing don't folks sometimes go into boilers manny i should think there'd be other parts of the boat more comfortable that's right poking fun at me at once t- but wait till we get through this brush with the old flame and i'll tell ye of a regular fixing scrape that a man may get into it's true too every word of it as sure as my name's ben Blower. the hope for race did indeed much to my personal comfort prove but a brush and i lighted a cigar with a tolerable assurance of being able to smoke it out in quiet before a boat could have another chance of testing the strength of her boiler while the worthy ben took up his story with that spirit and earnestness which is often called out mesmerically by attentive listening you have seen the flame then afore stranger six years ago when new upon the river she was a rail out and outer i tell ye i was at that time a hand aboard of her yes, I belonged to her at the time of her great race, with the Goliath. You've hearn mayhap of the blow-up by which we lost it. They made a great fuss about it, but it was nothing but a mere fizz of hot water after all, only the springing of a few rivets, which loosened a biler plate or two, and let out a thin spurting upon some niggers that hadn't sense enough to get out of the way. Well, the goliar took off our passengers, and we ran into Schmashers Landing to repair damages and bury the poor fools that were killed. Here we laid for a matter of thirty hours or so and got things to rights on board for a brand new start. There was some carpenter's work yet to be done, but the captain said that that might be fixed off just as well when we were underway. We had worked hard the weather was sour and we needn't do anything more just now we might take that afternoon to ourselves but the next morning he'd get up steam bright and early and we'd all come out new there was no temperance society at smashers landing and i went ashore upon a lark with some of the hands i omit the worthy benjamin's adventures upon land and despairing of fully conveying his language in its original doric force will not hesitate to give the rest of his singular narrative in my own words save where in a few instances i can recall his precise phraseology which the reader will easily recognize the night was raw and sleety when i regained the deck of our boat the officers instead of leaving a watch above had closed up everything and shut themselves in the cabin the fire-room only was open The boards dashed from the outside by the explosion had not yet been replaced. The floor of the room was wet, and there was scarcely a corner which afforded a shelter from the driving storm. I was about leaving the room, resigned to sleep in the open air, and now bent only upon getting under the lee of some bulkhead that would protect me against the wind. In passing out, I kept my arms stretched forward to feel my way in the dark but my feet came in contact with a heavy iron lid i stumbled and as i fell struck one of my hands into the manhole i think this was the name he gave to the oval shaped opening in the head of the boiler through which the smith had entered to make his repairs i fell with my arm thrust so far into the aperture that i received a pretty smart blow in the face as it came in contact with the head of the boiler and I did not hesitate to drag my body after it the moment I recovered from this stunning effect and ascertained my whereabouts. In a word, I crept into the boiler, resolved to pass the rest of the night there. The place was dry and sheltered. Had my bed been softer, I would have had all that man could desire. As it was, I slept, and slept soundly, i should mention though that before closing my eyes i several times shifted my position i had gone first to the farther end of the boiler then again i had crawled back to the manhole to put my hand out and feel that it was really still open the warmest place was at the farther end where i finally established myself and that i knew from the first it was foolish in me to think that the opening through which i had just entered could be closed without my hearing it and that too went on when no one was astir but myself but the blow on the side of my face made me a little nervous perhaps besides i never could bear to be shut up in any place it always gives a wild-like feeling about the head you may laugh stranger but i believe i should suffocate in an empty church if i once felt that i was so shut up in it that i could not get out i have met men afore now just like me, or worse, rather, much worse, men that it made sort of furious to be tied down to anything, yet so soft-like and contradictory in their natures that you might lead them anywhere, so long as they didn't feel the string. Stranger, it takes all sorts of people to make a world, and we may have a good many of the worst kind of white men here, out west, but I have seen folks upon the river, quiet-looking chaps too, as ever you see, who were so teetotally that they'd shoot the doctor who'd tell them they couldn't live when ailing and make a die of it just out of spite when told they must get well Yes, fellows as fond of the good things of earth as you or i yet who'd rush like mad right over the gangplank of life if once brought to believe that they had to stay in this world whether they wanted to leave it or not thunder and bees if such a fellow as that had heard the cocks crow as i did awakened to find darkness about him darkness so thick you might cut it with a knife heard other sounds too to tell that it was morning and scrambling to fumble for that manhole found it too black clothes black and even as the rest of the iron coffin around him closed with not a rivet hole to let god's light and air in why why he'd a swooned right down to on the spot as i did and i ain't ashamed to own it to no white man the big drops actually stood upon the poor fellow's brow as he now paused for a moment in the recital of his terrible story he passed his hand over his rough features and resumed it with less agitation of manner how long i may have remained there senseless i don't know the doctors have since told me it must have been a sort of fit more like an apoplexy than a swoon for the attack finally passed off in sleep yes i slept i know that for i dreamed dreamed a heap of things afore i woke there is but one dream however that i have ever been able to recall distinctly and that must have come on shortly before i recovered my consciousness my resting-place through that night had been as i have told you at the far end of the boiler well i now dreamed that the manhole was still open and what seems curious rather than laughable if you take it in connection with other things i fancied that my legs had been so stretched in the long walk i had taken the evening before that they now reached the whole length of the boiler and extended through the opening at first in my dreaming reflections it was a comfortable thought that no one could now shut up the manhole without awakening me but soon it seemed as if my feet which were on the outside were Becoming drenched in the storm which had originally driven me to seek this shelter, I felt a chilling rain upon my extremities. They grew colder and colder, and their numbness gradually extended upward to other parts of my body. It seemed, however, that it was only the underside of my person that was thus strangely visited. I laid upon my back, and it must have been a species of nightmare that afflicted me, for I knew at last that I was dreaming, yet felt it impossible to rouse myself. A violet fit of coughing restored at last my powers of volition the water which had been slowly rising around me had rushed into my mouth i awoke to hear the rapid strokes of the pump which was driving it into the boiler my whole condition no not all of it not yet my present condition flashed with new horror upon me but i did not again swoon the choking sensation which had made me faint when i first discovered how i was entombed gave way to a livelier though less overpowering emotion i shrieked even as i started from my slumber the previous discovery of the closed aperture with the instant oblivion that followed seemed only a part of my dream and i threw my arms about and looked eagerly for the opening by which i had entered the horrid place yes looked for it and felt for it though it was the terrible conviction that it was closed A second time brought home to me, which prompted my frenzied cry. Every sense seemed to have tenfold acuteness, yet not one to act in unison with another. I shrieked again and again, imploringly, desperately, savagely. I filled the hollow chamber with my cries till its iron walls seemed to tingle around me. The dull strokes of the accursed pump seemed only to mock at while they deadened my screams at last i gave myself up it is the struggle against our fate which frenzies the mind we cease to fear when we cease to hope i gave myself up and then i grew calm i was resigned to die resigned even to my mode of death it was not i thought so very new after all as to awaken unwanted horror in a man thousands have been sunk to the bottom of the ocean shut up in the holes of vessels beating themselves against the battened hatches dragged down from the upper world shrieking not for life but for death only beneath the eye and amid the breath of heaven thousands have endured that appalling kind of suffocation i would die only as many a better man had died before me i could meet such a death i said so i thought so i felt so felt so i mean for a minute or more ten minutes it may have been or but an instant of time i know not nor does it matter if i could compute it there was a time then when i was resigned to my fate but good god was i resigned to it in the shape in which next it came to appall me stranger i felt that water growing hot about my limbs though it was yet mid-leg deep i felt it and in the same moment heard the roar of the furnace that was to turn it into steam before it could get deep enough to drown one you shudder it was hideous but did i shrink and shrivel and crumble down upon that iron floor and lose my senses in that horrid agony of fear no though my brain swam and the life-blood that curdled at my heart seemed about to stagnate there for ever still i knew it was too hoarse too hopeless from my previous efforts to cry out more but i struck feebly at first and then strongly frantically with my clenched fist against the sides of the boiler there were people moving near me who must hear my blows could not i hear the grating of chains and shuffling of feet the very rustle of a rope hear them all within a few inches of me i did but the gurgling water that was growing hotter and hotter around my extremities made more noise within the steaming cauldron than did my frenzied blows against its sides Latterly, I had hardly changed my position but now the growing heat of the water made me plash to and fro lifting myself wholly out of it was impossible but i could not remain quiet i stumbled upon something it was a mallet a chance tool the smith had left there by accident with what wild joy did i seize it with what eager confidence did i now deal my first blows with it against the walls of my prison but scarce had i intermitted them for a moment when i heard the clang of the iron door as the fireman flung it wide to feed the flames that were to torture me my knocking was unheard, though i could hear him toss the sticks into the furnace beneath me and drive to the door when his infernal oven was fully crammed had i yet a hope i had but it rose in my mind side by side with the fear that i might now become the agent of preparing myself a more frightful death yes when i thought of that furnace with its fresh-fed flames curling beneath the iron upon which i stood a more frightful death even than that of being boiled alive had i discovered that mallet but a short time sooner but no matter i would by its aid resort to the only expedient now left it was this i remembered having a marline spike in my pocket and in less time than i have taken in hinting at the consequences of thus using it i had made an impression upon the size of the boiler and soon succeeded in driving it through the water gushed through the aperture would they see it no the jet could only play against a wooden partition which must hide the stream from view it must trickle down upon the deck before the leakage would be discovered should i drive another hole to make that leakage greater Why, the water within seemed already to be sensibly diminished, so hot had become that which remained, should more escape, would I not hear it bubble and hiss upon the fiery plates of iron that were already scorching the soles of my feet? Ah, there is a movement, voices, I hear them calling for a crowbar, the bulkhead cracks as they pry off the planking, they have seen the leak, they are trying to get at it. Good God, why do they not first dampen the fire? Why do they call for the, the... Stranger, look at that finger. It can never regain its natural size, but it has already done all the service that man could expect from so humble a member, Sir, that hole would have been plugged up on the instant unless I had jammed my finger through. I heard the cry for, as they saw it without, the shout to drown the fire, the first stroke of the cold water pump. They say, too, that I was conscious when they took me out, but I, I remember nothing more till they Brought a julep to my bedside afterward, and that julep cooling was it stranger. Ben turned away his head and wept. He could no more. While well, scenes in the forest and prairie end of section three.